The presenting sponsor of Sober Stories is Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits. That's Liars is an L-Y-R-E, but it's also not to liars, unlike the dirty kind, because they have an affinity for wordplay that makes my copywriter heart sing. Liars was created by a couple Brits on a quest to replicate and replicate well as many different alcoholic spirits as possible, allowing us to drink our way. And y'all know me, my way is without a drop of ethanol. Their name actually gives a nod to the Australian lyrebird, which can mimic just about any sound. I've used liars in my mocktail making for truly years now. I think my first introduction was probably the orange sec, which took my NA margarita game from sad and depressing to good enough to make my normie partner say, uh, there's no way this isn't the real thing. <laughs> Except now, my margarita doesn't ruin my life and throw my mental health in the garbage. Grab the margarita set for two different kinds of tequila alternatives and that orange sec I was talking about. Classico is my new favorite, though. I packed a cooler of them last year for the lake and the river and the beach and the pool. <laughs> Their pre-mixed, ready-to-drink canned beverages are a great solution for those moments when you want something refreshing and celebratory in your hand, but you don't want the consequences of booze. You'll probably want to go ahead and hit add to cart to the Classico case and get that free shipping. As you're building out your non-alcoholic bar cart this spring, head over to liars.com, use code SOBERSTORIES1010, that's S-O-B-E-R-S-T-O-R-I-E-S, the number one, the number zero, the letter T, the letter E, and the letter N for 10% off your purchase. We'll pop that in the show notes too. Liars gives you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. God, their copywriter's good. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? It's Friday, so that means another episode of Sober Stories. We're just so glad you're here, that you're tuning into these stories, that you're spending the afternoon with us. We just wrapped up our Kickstarter, and I want to take a quick moment to thank everyone who backed this thing that we're doing here. A special shout out to Tim Franzier, a super BFF of the pod. Tim, you're the man. This conversation with Kevin Bullock that you're about to listen to is just so, so good. Kevin is one of those people who talks about this stuff in such a relatable way. To know him is to love him. Kevin is a corporate tax guy turned recovery coach and head of coaching at Reframe who lives in Ohio and is about to celebrate another sober birthday in April. He runs the Sober Ginger account where he talks about the importance, especially for men, of opening up and asking for help. He'll become your go-to guy for all things tattoos, therapy, Blue October, Probably coffee <laughs> after this interview. Trust me. Kevin and I dug into some really great topics, but my favorite was our conversation on his experience realizing that he couldn't, really that none of us can, do this alone, and particularly the broader experience of men in mental health. After you give today's episode a listen, tag Kevin and let us know your biggest takeaway. Here we go. All right, y'all. I am really excited for this conversation today. Kevin is one of those people that you can just count on for anything. He's kind of like a big brother in the sober space. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I send so many people your way when they come to me and they're like, I have a brother or I have a partner or I have uh, a son. And, and I think that the way you present for men in the sober space is just really amazing. So I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I send people your way all the time. Uh, but, you know, I think that the way that you talk about this sober content with just like a lot of empathy and realism, which I think is, is lacking in the space for men, or, or I don't know if, if that's quite what I mean, but just that it's not as openly talked about in this space for men is really, really inspirational for me. So Give our listeners a kind of a rundown of who you are, where you live, what you do, who your pets are, whatever the high notes you've got for us are, so they can know a little bit more about your story. Yeah, thank you. Um, and and thanks for sharing my myself with other people that you think might benefit from it. Um, so I'm Kevin. I am a uh, I am the sober ginger on Instagram, uh, which is where kind of this whole things started for me. Well, not, it didn't start there, but that's where me sharing, uh, openly started. Um, 
Yeah, I'm in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. I'm 42, married with uh, one daughter who uh, will be 15 this year, getting closer to driving, and she's going to high school next year, so that's kind of scary. Um, Terrifying. Yeah, it's uh, that's come it's come up quick. Uh, it seems, but uh, if my and- my son's uh, Lego superhero video game is any indication, I am I'm horrified of him driving. It's it's already terrifying <laughs> at age six. Yeah, uh, I've already talked to her. I'm like, I'm like, ooh, we should uh, we should go to a parking lot sometime and just drive <laughs> around right now. Uh, she's like, what? Really? You're gonna? Let-? I'm like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna do it then, or you're gonna do it now? Might as well start trying. Um, I have two chihuahuas that are now passed out on the couch uh, right here. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I am. Uh, I, I can st- I can stop saying that I'm a tax accountant by trade mm-hmm. now. Uh, you know, that's, I, I started out in, uh, accounting, uh, 21 years ago and last month, yeah, I, I quit that job and I am now, uh, coaching over at the reframe app. Um, yeah. So, uh, full-time over there and that's been, yeah, three years in the making. I'll be coming up on three years alcohol free at the end of April. Um, Amazing. Yes. And I know your sober date because it is my re-sober date and also was the day of a Game of Thrones episode. So <laughs> remind us oh, yeah. what your date is. Uh, well, yeah, my day one was uh, April 29th, 2019 uh, and April 28th, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Sunday night was uh, probably the best Game of Thrones episode ever, mm-hmm. the Night King. And uh yeah, didn't see, I didn't sleep through, or I didn't see the end of that episode because yeah. I was, I knew I was starting the next day and I was like, oh, I just got back from vacation. I'm like, I got to finish up all my alcohol because I'm yep. starting to start in this again the next day, which is yep. I had to rewatch, I, I had to rewatch that episode. So I know exactly what you mean. And it was again, the, the day that I was like, oh, this, this just isn't working. Yeah. So I, I, like that you say that you were in accounting for 21 years because that's like a whole whole legal drinking age lifetime ago <laughs> didn't even think about that yeah mm-hmm. um yeah and i i did some drinking in those days um yeah. <laughs> uh for sure yeah i mean that's you know i didn't start really drinking until college and then then once i started drinking there it was binge drinking and mm-hmm. then that kind of went into went into work where a lot of you know a lot of deadlines, high stress, uh, things like that. And then we, you know, at the end of the deadlines, we had end of busy season parties and mm-hmm. we've always, we always had happy hours or when we were working a ton, we would still find time to go out on Friday and Saturday nights and, uh, drag our asses in, in the mornings on those <laughs> weekends and, and things like that. But then, uh, then like when I was about 27, I switched out of big four accounting into corporate accounting which was a little bit more consistent, little, little less stress or so I thought. Um, eventually it was, and then it definitely wasn't mm-hmm. <laughs> after a while uh, as we started doing new projects and that. But, uh, you know, starting a new job, daughter was born. And, and so, you know, I, I still drank socially and all that, but it was definitely, I think, less than, you know, we had a new house. And so all those things kind of like life happened and all those things kind of, you know, made it die down a little bit, but it was still the social binge drinking was how I always drank into my thirties. Then it was more like I'd get home from work, have a beer, uh, and it kind of slowly crept in there. Uh, and then towards the end of my thirties, like I think 2015 was really, uh, a year for me. Like it was a good year for me career wise. I worked all the time and I was like heading up one of these big projects on the tax side of things. And like the whole corporate trend, like the whole company was transforming from a, a legal perspective. And I was at the forefront of that with my boss and, and our other, our team. But, you know, I, I drank a lot that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd go come home from work, I'd have a drink to kind of relax myself, I'd work. And then I would, you know, drink at night, because that was my time for myself, right? I mean, that was the time for uh, that I needed for me, which, you know, then, didn't help me sleep and didn't mm-hmm. help me, you know, I, I woke up feeling kind of not, uh, let's just say subpar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that, that's really what I use that as my coping mechanism. That was my, yeah. my only thing, thing that I knew. 
And, you know, it just kind of escalated from there. So I, so then now I'm drinking at home more heavily by myself to unwind. And now, and then I was still drinking socially whenever I, you know, whenever those opportunities arose, which were often probably, mm-hmm. uh, we always find time to, <laughs> there's always something going on to, to drink at, but then, uh, yeah, 2016, then we had to implement those changes, 2000, you know, and the whole time, like 2016, I was, I was named, you know, one of the two people mm. who won the accountant of the year award for our company mm. and for the work I did in 2015. So, you know, high functioning, right. uh, and 2017 was, you know, a little bit normal 2018 then was when we 2017, 2018 towards the end of there, uh, was our company was looking to be acquired. So mm. there was a whole nother big project that we had to work on. And again, I was doing that along with my regular job and, you know, it became, uh, it, it be, a lot of things started, a lot of red flags started raising. And I know, uh, one, one good thing, uh, about my company was that they started making us do those biometric screenings, which is just mm. get blood work done. You know, you had to get that done or else you got to charge or something yeah. like that. Your um, insurance is more expensive or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so started doing that and then it was like, you know, so I had to get blood work done every year now, uh, which now I recommend everybody do. But, you know, once I got that done, like in 2018, my doctor was like, oh, you know, your liver enzymes are elevated and they weren't anything crazy. They were like around my ALT was like close to or around a hundred, mm-hmm. which I've heard that, you know, hundreds, uh, I've heard much higher numbers than that, but it was enough for my doctor to be like, oh, let's get an ultrasound to your liver and see what's going on. And, um, cause apparently he might not believe me when I said, I uh, drink like five to 10 beers a week. Just uh, a couple, like nothing yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if there's somebody out there listening right now who has never lied on a doctor's note about how much you drink, I don't know if you're in the right place. I mean, you're welcome here. Yeah. Everyone's welcome to listen, yeah. but, but I think everyone relates to, uh, you know, just, just a couple, five yeah. or six a week. Yeah. Yeah. On a good day. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I got the ultrasound and, you know, fatty liver where I, I, you know, I always say like, I'm like, well, duh, like mm-hmm. I could have told, I could have told you that without the ultrasound. Like yeah. I could, whenever you're, whenever I was waking up and, you know, my whole side is kind of swollen and tender, mm-hmm. like I kind of knew something was up there, but then I just got, it was in August of that year and I just kept drinking yeah. and I was like, ah, what, what am I going to do here? Uh, and I remember like September 30th, uh, I was listening to a podcast and they were doing like sober October. And so I was like, okay, I'm like, let's just do this. Uh, I mean, this is a good thing. I'll, I'll do this as a way to help myself. And I made it five days, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe on the fifth day is when I drank it, whatever that Friday was, uh, in that in 2018 <laughs> is when I drank. And then I was like, oh, guess this month's over. So I'll just keep drinking versus I was definitely in that fixed mindset that I mm-hmm. uh, advise against, you know, where, you know, just let's, let's not, you know, the month isn't over. Like you slip up once you can keep going, but back then right. it was all or nothing for me. Yeah. Um, or, or so you, then, we call it the buckets. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And so then, you know, kept going, kept going. And then January working a ton year end and all that. And it was just, it was very much, uh, got to the point where I, I was just like, I was, I was listening to books. I was like reading stuff on AA. Like, is this, I never got behind the steps for AA. Like that, that's what held me back. Like, mm. plus I didn't know anybody in AA. Uh, well, I don't know if I knew anybody in AA, obviously. Right. It's anonymous. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, so I didn't see anybody. I didn't know where to go. And I knew I could have went online and, and Googled it and saw where to go, but I just didn't like do that step. Uh, cause I was more focused on the steps mm. and, and I was like, mm, those don't really jive with me. And, mm. uh, I listened to that, you know, Russell Brand's book recovery where he rebrands the steps. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the one thing that, that pushed me from that book was he changed one of the steps. I can't remember which one to basically say, you know, are you on your own going to fuck yourself? Mm. And I remember driving in the car, listening to the book to go into work. And I paused the audiobook at that point. And I was like, fuck, that's it. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not. Uh, 
I've never been able to do stuff on my own. Like I always need that accountability. I always need something else, you know, sounds maybe sounds weird, but you know, I always, yeah. I mean, so that was, that was, I think one of two things, you know, that, that really pushed me. The other one was, you know, a song lyric from blue October, which uh, I have tattooed on my shoulder now, which says, you know, I, I, part of the song was like, I, I should have been a better man, but I should have, could have, would have, isn't what a better man would do. Mm. And I remember driving in the car again, apparently I had all my epiphanies in the car, listening to stuff with my daughter sitting there and that lyric came on and that kind of hit me. The, the should have, could have, would have, isn't what a better man would do. And so those two things like really kind of stuck in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, January 22nd, 2019 got drunk second day in a row. It was a Tuesday. Told myself I wasn't going to drink, you know, this, this, finish this bottle of whiskey that night. I was just going to have a bottle of wine, you know, but then I had the bottle of wine and then finished the bottle of whiskey. And I just kind of broke down on the couch and was like, I can't do this anymore. And I, uh, I had my computer out and I typed in therapy online and I'm like, Oh yeah, better help. I did see that. And I signed up that night for that. And kind of where it all started well that's where this journey i guess started but uh yeah still with my therapist today i'll I'll be talking to her again on friday um but uh yeah so it's definitely been that that's where it started for me and i just needed to talk to somebody to Mm. share Mm. There are so many pieces of that. I, I'm over here writing notes on my, my sticky pad um, because I don't have a brain and everything leaves my brain immediately. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you can't uh, see if you're listening to the yeah. podcast version of this, both Kevin and I held up our, our notepads because yeah. uh, I don't know if it's parent brain or COVID brain or just midlife brain or whatever it is. Yeah. My folks call it CRS. Can't remember shit. That's, that's yeah. where I'm at these days. But And I, I want to get into the therapy part in a minute, because I have some questions about what that looked like for you and how really this idea of talking to people and connecting with people has impacted your, your journey through this. But one of the things that you said in all of that was that drinking was kind of your time for yourself after the binge drinking in college and after like the social drinking and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of have this perception of like the accounting world is like kind of a boys club where it's like just party, 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 work, work, work. Party. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. I'd have to talk to, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it's just a boys club. Um, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if it's maybe more whenever I was, cause I started in 20 or I can't even say 20, 2001, um, 2001, 2001. Yeah. That doesn't even, uh, but, uh, no, I mean, it was definitely, I think it was definitely a good mix of men and women there. And, uh, I don't feel like it definitely was like probably 10 years before that, for sure. Mm -hmm. Probably a couple years before that. And I would have to have uh, some of my friends correct me, uh, if they think I'm I'm wrong there, but we'll give the the women their dues and yeah. Yeah. And just call it called a party culture. But one of the things that you said that was really interesting to me was, this idea of it being your time for yourself. And I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with that. I think that that is how it feels for many of us. And, and, you know, it's really interesting. I see so many people who are like you, who get accountant of the year or who are in high performing jobs or who have a family or, you know, whatever it may look like where it looks nice and fine on the outside, but they're secretly drinking a bottle of wine on the couch alone at night, every night. And that's, that's who I was too. And I think it's really interesting when we think about when we have these really high stress jobs, when we have young kids or when we've got people that we're caring for, or we've got a lot of different obligations on our plate at the end of the day, we unwind to something. And we are so used to using alcohol as one of the ways to unwind and it feels like a reward and it feels celebratory and it feels relaxing and it feels like we deserve this. And the reality is that that what it does to the time for ourselves is really wrecks it. It it wrecks our sleep and it wrecks our mental health and it doesn't rest us. It it only temporarily puts a bandaid on it, but I'm just, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm just curious about like how we got there and how we got to this place of like 
alcohol being associated with self-care, with time for ourselves, with relaxation at the end of the day. And I don't know, I just like keep, especially when you're talking about accounting, I like have, it's like mad men in my brain still. (laughs) So I like keep thinking of like John Hamm cracking open a whiskey at the end of the day. But, you know, I, and and like I said, I don't know the answer to this, but it's just something that's interesting. And I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with what you said about it turned into something that was your way to unwind this time for yourself. But I wanted to dig into what therapy did for you in your early sober days and really how you perceive or what your experience is in this space as a man who just needs to talk to somebody. And you posted a, a reel the other day that really spoke to me. And it was a hodgepodge of people saying like, who, who's the person you reach out to when you're at your lowest and you need somebody. And then it was multiple men in a row saying nobody. So what has that looked like for you? What has your experience in that been? And tell us more about why you share about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. My wife sent me that uh, TikTok. So I reshared it and it was, you know, what, who, yeah, like you said, who do you reach out to? And it was a bunch of people saying like, nobody, I'm a man, like nobody cares or, you know, that type of thing. And that's not necessarily true. But I feel that is our perception regardless, because mm-hmm. that's what we see, right? Yeah. In, in it's been passed down generationally, I think. And, uh, and it definitely is, you know, the strong silent type mm-hmm. and that type of thing, you know, key emphasis on silent, I think. And it's tough to get out of that mentality. And I'm still not out of that mentality. I mean, it's still there. Uh, I, I do better with it. But yeah, like the whole time, whenever I knew, let's say the end of 2018, early 2019, for me, it kind of got dark in my head because I mm. knew I had to change something. I knew I couldn't keep going like this. I knew I was going to die if I kept drinking the way I was. And I didn't know who I could say that to. I didn't know because I was the one that had had my shit together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously my wife would disagree with that. And I could have talked to her at any point in time. And I know I could have, Mm -hmm. but it's that, but that, you know, I I have this perception that, I don't know, I feel lesser than, or, you know, I'm supposed to be the one that's supposed to take care of everybody. And that's just, you know, mine. And I'm, assuming a high majority of, mm-hmm. uh, of guys mentality. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know how to open up and say that I've never, I've never been taught that. So, so it is, it is a tough hurdle. Mm-hmm. It's a, a wall to jump over. <laughs> it's not even a hurdle. And so for me, I, I just like, I've never been diagnosed with depression or anything like that, but I know I was depressed at the mm-hmm. end of that year, severely and I would, you know, I'd be, like I had said, you know, my, my alone time drinking, I'd be downstairs in the basement on my couch um, with, you know, whatever. Uh, and, you know, a lot of nights end up just kind of being like, what the fuck am I doing? And then mm. breaking it down, breaking down in tears or whatever, only to pass out and wake up at 5am whenever all the lights on and mm. the pipe right there. Cause my wife's taking a shower, getting ready for work. Like, mm. Fuck yeah. And crawl back upstairs and, you know, get another hour or two of sleep and go to work and repeat Mm. and just couldn't break out of that cycle. Um, So I knew if I need, if I was going to change, if I wasn't going to just drink myself to death, I knew I had to talk to somebody about it. So Mm. um, that's when I was like, okay, I need to do something about alcohol. I I wasn't going to go to AA. And I wasn't going to go to a therapist's office. Like if mm-hmm. like I'm lazy, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not afraid <laughs> well, to admit I'm fairly lazy. So if I have to go somewhere on a repeated basis, whether it's for my life or not, I need to make it as easy as possible for me. So we'll call um, them barriers to entry. Exactly. So there are a lot of barriers to entry there. And so I took those away by, you know, logging into better help and signing up that night. And then, and then it took, so that was a Tuesday night. Uh, I didn't tell my wife until Friday night and we were, and I poured myself a 
glass of whiskey. Mm. You know, we went upstairs, she was at the desk, I was at the chair and we were talking and for 20 minutes we talked and I have no idea what she said because the whole time I'm like, how do I say this to her? How do I say this to her all the while like drinking so that I can, you know, get that liquid courage Mm -hmm. in order to say, I'm like, what would you say if I told you I would, I needed to see a therapist for my drinking. Mm. And she's like, you know, I think, you know, anybody who wants to, you know, work on their mental health or or better themselves that way, I think they should. So yeah, no, obviously I knew she wasn't going to say like, no, you're, were you weak? You know, it's it's not like she, I knew she wasn't going to say that, but in my head, it's like, I'm admitting that would, that was tough because it was admitting that. I had a problem. Mm. I was admitting that I needed help. I couldn't do it anymore. So, I mean, that was the big, the big deal with that. Um, I, I can feel that in my chest. Like you talking about sitting there, not listening yeah. to anything she said, cause you're thinking about what you're saying. I can, I can feel my own yeah. anxiety in my own body. And I, I hear a big, heavy sigh from you from that too. Yeah, no, I feel it in my head right now. Kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, that, that tingling and, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I drank that night and then I didn't drink again for like 60 days mm. um, because, you know, then I started talking to my therapist um, and working with her and then I could be more open with my wife. And it, I mean, it wasn't easy. Like mm. I, I always, I, I've thrown this out too. So better help. You could, uh, it's kind of like the reframe coaching where you can mm-hmm. text people and you can also have like live sessions. So yeah. I would always text my therapist, you know, and say like, whatever, if, if I had that urge to drink, I would message, I would message, I would pull my phone and that was my journaling, I guess. That's yeah. kind of where my, that became big for me to sit there and go through like what I'm feeling in that moment, what I'm doing. And then sometimes I'd be like, all right, copy, paste, text it to mm-hmm. my wife. And, that, and she's like literally sitting on the couch, like five feet away from me. I'm like, read that text once mm. because that was, that was my kind of way to start opening up. And I, it, for me, it was easier to type it out and think through it and kind of get those thoughts on paper, not on paper, but in my phone and out of my head. Uh, Cause it's hard for me to verbalize that sometimes. And what, how did it feel for you when you started looping Ange in sharing more of what the internal process was like. I mean, it was freeing a little bit hmm. to, to have her know like how I was feeling and she's been nothing but, you know, supportive and, and all that, which has been a blessing, I guess. I mean, I, I've had it a little bit easy from that perspective versus other people because she doesn't really drink yeah. uh, at all. And, you know, so, but then also too, she doesn't necessarily understand yeah. fully like what it is. Like she knows what it's like to be pressured to, to drink because she doesn't mm-hmm. really drink. So she knows when people are like, Oh, come on, just have one. Mm-hmm. Um, but not from the standpoint of you really want one. She, um, and the compulsive need to drink more. Yeah. You know, I, I ask that because one of the things that I share with my clients and the people I work with is that, though it is one of the most difficult things you can possibly do whenever you are able to have radical honesty within a relationship, an intimate relationship with the caveat that it needs to be, it has to be a safe relationship. So if it's an unsafe relationship, it won't be met correctly. But when you can have honesty with somebody, even one person, it really changes the it's freeing, as you said, it is both freeing because first off, you're not even, you're no longer the one who is solely carrying that, but it's also, I think one of the things that we're so afraid of is that we're going to be met with distaste or judgment or somebody being mad or upset at us. And more often than not, especially when it's a safe container, if it's a safe relationship, we are met with kindness and empathy and support and maybe concern and maybe some sort of like sometimes confused, sometimes misguided support, but generally met with kindness. And it really changes the experience from being solely internal to starting to externalize it and starting to move through it in in a positive way. 
you connected with your therapist and you started sharing these experiences. How did that change your path to now being several years alcohol-free? She gave me tools. Mm. <laughs> like for the first time I was like, you know, and, and I don't even know if we called it a toolkit at that point. Uh, but I might've learned that on the gram uh, yeah. <laughs> later on. Thanks, um, Instagram. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she just that, which I, I tell her now, like, I'm like, you didn't get paid enough for me. Mm. Um, cause you had to read my, my messages that I sent and, you know, but just, just being able to type out what I was thinking and what I was going through and what I was struggling with at that moment, like, and sending that to somebody knowing that she's not going to read it now. It's not her hours. She's going to check it. She's, she'll see it tomorrow. Maybe, um, knowing that just kind of had that weight lifted mm. off, off of me, but also, you know, just accountability is huge for me, um, yeah. as it is for many people, but like, that is like, if I'm held accountable to somebody, if I feel held, held accountable to somebody, like I'm, I want to stick with that. Mm. And, you know, it, just having that support is what helps me. And well, it's like you said earlier, trying to do it alone is so yeah. hard when you're, you're the only person in this internal experience. And for me, it was my rock bottom was simply just a constant disappointment of myself. It wasn't anything big yeah. or external or, but it was just, I, I couldn't keep promises to myself. I just constantly disappointed myself. I couldn't stop on my own, no matter what. And, and I really, both from a personal and a, and a clinical perspective now really believe that we can't do this by ourselves. We, we really truly yeah. can't. And, and I, and part of that is formed in the idea that willpower is bullshit. Like that's, yeah. there's no such, if there is any such thing as willpower, it is like a tiny fraction of the actual equation. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many other components of this. There's neurochemistry, there's physiology, there's your, your environment, there's your support network. There's so many other pieces of this that are involved in this, that willpower alone is not enough to get sober. Right. And, and, and I think we're socialized to believe that it is, and we're socialized in, in yeah. our societal understanding of alcohol use disorder or alcoholism or whatever you want to call it really relies heavily on willpower and like the, the morality of, of alcohol. And, and I think that, you know, if, if anybody takes anything away from your content, I really, I really see this idea of like, we can't do it alone and that we don't have to. And I think that that's really, really powerful for some people to see. Yeah. And uh, I've said this before and it's, you know, when I hear that, it, it's like, it's not a moral failing to be mm-hmm. addic- addicted to an addictive substance that's pushed to us from childhood through our lives. Mm-hmm. And every single thing we go to is, has this there, whether mm-hmm. it's a first, first, or I'm sorry, a, a one-year-old's birthday to a, a funeral, a wedding, yeah. every celebration in between. And you know, it's, it's ridiculous that people still think that it's, uh, you know, oh, you can, you should just be able to control this. You should just be able to, you should be strong enough, strong to do that. Just, oh, just, I I just say I do things and I do them. Oh, okay. Good for for you. (laughs) Good for you. Um, Yeah. Must be nice. (laughs) uh, I mean, willpower, whatever that is, is, is needed. Like sometimes you do just have to kind of get through it. Yeah. You know, you, you, we can, we can say, Oh, go to your toolkit and all that. But you know, that's in there. Sometimes yeah. I've white knuckled it through some nights mm-hmm. um, where, but white knuckling it through those nights might be telling Ange that I'm struggling or her. Yeah. I used to tell her, I'm like, I'm like, can I get you anything? And I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to get myself uh, a bourbon or she, she would ask me, so like, Oh, can I get you anything? And I'm like, yeah, but a whiskey. Uh, she's like, haha, no. <laughs> um, and, and so she did that I a couple her. times, like, like uh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. But so then I had to like tell her, I'm like, just so you know, whenever I jokingly, air quotes, jokingly say that uh, I want a whiskey, I really, in those moments, like, mm. I really want a drink. That's just my sarcasm and deflection uh, mm-hmm. kicking in. So then she's like, oh, okay, well, that's good to know. Yeah, um, secret code. Yeah, exactly. 
which I used, uh, which I used in Vegas this year, mm. uh, o- over two years alcohol free. And we mm-hmm. go to Vegas in June and we get there. And the first day of any vacation is always my mm. uh, huge drinking day because, you know, the stress of getting a vacation and getting work done beforehand in order to go and getting there and all that. And then, so we got there, we put our bags in the hotel, you know, I was, I had to drive in Vegas, which on a Saturday night to get to the hotel, which I was, it wasn't that bad, but it was stressful enough at that point. And we get there and we're all sitting, standing in the middle of the casino and, and talking and where do you want to eat? What do you want to do? And I just see alcohol around that smells, the, the sounds. And I look at Ange, I'm like, if we don't decide where we're going to eat right now, I'm going over to that bar and I'm Mm. getting a whiskey. Mm. And she's like, all right, let's go get pizza. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, go get cupcakes or something. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I had pizza and a diet Coke and I felt 1000% better, yeah. but yeah, there was, it was just that anxiety mm. building up inside of me and, and in that atmosphere. And, and a spot. need for an immediate release and, and yeah. then our brain's association with vacation and the sound yeah. of slot machines and all of yeah. these things that we think, you know, I think Cigarettes it's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like you'll go to an environment and you're like, oh my God, I have not experienced this cacophony of smells and sounds and sights in five years. And I'm like immediately back in my drinking days. And, you know, every time you experience that you've checked one off your list and and you have fewer to experience moving forward, but it's really real. And I think, you know, I like that you say like several years into being alcohol-free, you still have this experience. And I think that's the reality of it. I think that's the, the reality of this, that it is something that we have been conditioned for most of our life to, think of. And then we had a lot of years practicing it and now we're trying to do a new thing, but our brain is still going to snap to those yeah. things every now and then. And I was, and, and she knew I wasn't, and I knew I wasn't going to go over there yeah. and walk over to the bar, but yeah. in my head, that's where my mind yeah. immediately went. Yep. First um, thought. Yeah. People just walking around with drink, all that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you recently, you mentioned earlier about leaving your, your corporate accounting job and moving into the recovery field. Can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to make that massive shift kind of at, at this point in your life? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of snowballed, I guess, over the time because, you know, one thing, it was basically one thing led to another. Uh, mm. I started my Instagram account for me, just I, I, nobody followed me. I just shared pictures for myself. It was like my little photo journal. Uh, in the summer of 2019. And it, it was a couple months later, I think in October, I looked over at Ange after I posted something. I'm like, did you know I have like a separate Instagram account? She's like, no. So she was my first follower. And then I started opening up and I started following other people. And and then I would like share a little bit, uh, but I was private. And, you know, then somebody would say, oh, thanks for sharing that. And so then I would go and uh, so then I made it public and I, started sharing more just about how, just about things like I would, like I would type things to my therapist and I'd be like, Oh, you know what? Mm. Copy paste. And it became kind of my journal, Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, or I type things in my journal and I would be like, Oh, you know what? I should probably post that. Mm. So then, so then I would edit it and post it. But then as I did that, like it felt so much better for me, again, the accountability to share that Mm. with nobody and everybody all at once. Um, you know, I was still, I probably had a picture or something. I probably had, you could probably my name wasn't on there, but you could see my face. You know, I posted a picture or whatever, but you know, nobody really followed me that I knew. And so it was still like this safe space where I could share without, mm-hmm. you know, others knowing. And I just noticed that it helped, you know, I was, you know, I always debated, like, should I post this or shouldn't mm. I? And then when I would post it and one person would go and say like, oh, thank you so much for sharing this today. Like this helped me so much or whatever. I was mm-hmm. like, that's it. I'm like, that's all I care about. Mm-hmm. I'm, glad, I'm glad I posted it. And because I know I read things. I know I looked at people's accounts and I was yeah. like, oh, you know, that that's why I'm not going to drink right now because that's mm-hmm. that helped me. And then, yeah, so I guess in that 2020 there, uh, as we're getting into that, you know, I, I fall in a thousand hours dry and I was, uh, they shared one of my pictures in January. I was like, mm. Oh my God, a thousand hours dry. I shared my picture. <laughs> I'm uh, famous. Yeah. And they did it again in March. And, 
But for, uh, for those who are listening, both Kevin and I have, have been in and around the thousand hours dry family for a long time. So it's a great account to follow if you are not already following. Yeah, uh, for sure. And yeah, I mean, so then I saw in March, they posted like, Hey, you know, we're looking for hosts. And that's when it was just like one or two pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was one HD and then thousand hours dry Denver yeah, at random. the time. Yeah. With Amber. And then, uh, so it was, so I was, you know, I reached out and I talked to Adam who's listening boots. I think his name mm-hmm. is handle is now. Um, and I'm like, Hey, cause I, I've talked to him before and uh, I'm like, Hey, you know, what does that entail? And immediately he's like, Oh yeah. Kayla's going to call you. Um, <laughs> who's the founder. And so we talked and I started that April. And so that was kind of my, uh, start into sharing more, opening up, mm-hmm. sharing with a wider audience. And, you know, it, that kind of became, because then white, right. Wasn't that pandemic time too? Yeah. Probably uh, around then. Yeah. March of 2020. So yeah, it was April, 2020 is when I first, so I'm working from home, you know, I have my day that I'm hosting, but that became, you know, really something I was like passionate about, like mm-hmm. being able to, being able to share and go and like, you know, do, you know, respond to comments and, and, direct messages and all that, you know, it was just another thing that I did. And it was almost like from that point on, like I, I have this kind of personality, I think where it's like, I, I need to just keep like, if somebody keeps giving me something to do, I'm not going to say no, which is a problem, <laughs> which is why some, maybe I drank a little too much. I know I, I'm trying to teach Kevin how to say no, but it's, it's work yeah. in progress. <laughs> It's hard. It hasn't, it hasn't happened yet, which is why I'm here. Today. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad he didn't say no to me, but um, <laughs> otherwise, because, because literally like that's, that's it. Like mm-hmm. I, I was, Oh yeah, I'll do that. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll do an Instagram live. And then the next thing I know, Kayla's emailing, you know, all these, you know, celebrities for, you know, or just, you know, people in the sober space uh, asking like, Hey, do you want to be on like coffee chats with Kevin? I'm like, wait, I haven't, it has a name now, like what's going on here. And then, so then I felt like, yeah. So then I couldn't, I had, I did that every week and that became something that I, that stressed me out Uh, 1000%. Like that was, and again, that's just, it's so far out of my comfort zone that Mm. I just kept pushing myself to, to do it. And like, if somebody said like, Oh, why don't you do this? Or, you know, I would like, all right, I'll figure it out as I go. Let's, let's just do it. And but then I got more comfortable with it. Like mm-hmm. I, I prepped for hours for like those first couple of lives. And then the last, you know, the lot, by the time I was doing them at the end, I would just show up and, you know, I knew the person who I was going to talk to. I had my list of questions and it was you know, super easy. Right. But it's mm-hmm. just repetition. It's just practicing that. So that was how I kind of, you know, as t- that went on later in 2020, I signed up for, you know, I was t- debating what to do, uh, but I signed up for, coaching certification program after talking with my therapist and going back and forth <laughs> the night I looked at the psychology routes and, and I apologize if you hear this, but my four pound chihuahua is like snoring. Like crazy. I can't hear it. It's okay. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know, I, I even looked and like from 20 years ago, like half of my credits would, mm. would count. So I would only need to take like two years of undergrad to get my psychology degree. But then mm-hmm. I was like, I had to get masters and I had to do this and that. And I'm like, all right, let's, we talked about the coaching route and I was kind of skeptical at first about that. And I'm like, mm, I kind of hear coaching and I'm like, is yeah. that really a thing? Like, is that really a, but my program is great. And I love that. And, and I, well, and as somebody who has a, an undergrad in psych and then did have to go get a master's degree, like probably made a wise choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's very time um, consuming. <laughs> yeah. And like my therapist says too, like you're, you're then kind of limited because you can only practice in certain areas right. and like in, in locations and things like that. Whereas coaching is much more open from yeah. that perspective. Um, but yeah, so, you know, like I say, it just kept, it was just like one thing after another, like, okay, let's do this. Okay. Why not? Let's do this. And um, well, and I, I hear the the snowball that you talked about of like, it just kept building on itself and you just kept saying, Yes. And truly what I hear though, is like a trusting of, 
God, I almost said trust the process, but <laughs> a trusting well, of your your gut and listening to the the inner little whispers that say, okay, this way. Even if you don't know what the end goal is, it's like, okay, go this way. This feels good. Yeah. This feels right. This feels feels good. And I think that that's something that no matter what you're doing, whoever's listening to this, like even if you don't plan on being a recovery coach or working in the recovery space, like just this idea of of just listening to the thing that says go this way and not this way. And yeah. and knowing that I, I had a great conversation with Jyoti Chand in our last podcast, and we were talking about intuition. And I think that first off, I believe that we as people have very intelligent intuitions. But also I think when we remove alcohol, we're able to listen to it better and where we have more clarity around it. And we have the ability to really say, okay, trust myself for the first time, maybe in a long time. Cause I, I know I sure did not trust myself for a long time, but I, I hear this idea of like, okay, just listening to this, whatever voice, spirit, source, inner wisdom, whatever you want to call it, the brain say, let's go this way and not this way. And eventually leading to something that feels really, really good and aligned. So I want to ask one last question before we wrap this up, but I always ask everybody at the end of the podcast, if your story were to be published, the story of, of you and alcohol or you and sobriety or you and recovery or whatever you want to call it, what would the book be titled and what kind of book would it be? Put you on the spot. Uh, yeah. Um, what type of book? Like I've actually thought about a book. Yeah. Are you writing a book? Are you writing a book? No, I'm not, but I think everybody, everybody, you know, I will read your book, Kevin. So I'm trying to think of like, I did have some titles, uh, and I can't, you know, just messing around, but, uh, like, I think, I feel like there's, I don't feel like my, my story is like special or I well, do. It, I was going to say, or extraordinary, but I think that's what makes it yeah. important to know yeah. for people to hear is that it's ordinary. Like yeah. it, this is just, it, it affects everybody. It's not, yeah. I wasn't living under a bridge. I wasn't doing any of that. But so one of my titles, I think, and I posted this like a long, long, long time ago, but it was uh, it basically don't man up, open mm. up. Ooh. I like um, that. Open up, don't man up. Something, yeah. something along those lines. I like um, that. Because I remember, I think I posted a picture where it just said, you know, man up. And uh, and I crossed out the man and I just said open. Uh, and basically, yeah, like ways to change our habits, change how we handle these situations, change how we can talk with people and really just change how we do things, how mm. we've been taught to do things. because. Uh, not to say that they're wrong, but we, we need better, we need better tools. Yeah. Uh, and I say we, uh, I think everybody, but especially men, I think need mm. to realize that they don't have to not say anything or just suck it up or, uh, drink through their problems and things like that. There are better mm. ways to do it. I was, I was a stress ball mm. and I, I drank because of stress, but then I found out that by removing alcohol, I, I realized that I was causing my stress. Mm. Like, like it, it, I needed new ways to deal with it, but that was, that was definitely not doing me any favors. Um, so amazing. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to like strike through on the text, man, strike through open up. Cause I think that's an excellent yeah. title. And I'm, I'm so glad you hit on the point that it is extraordinary through being ordinary. And I think that truly is the ethos of what we're doing here, that everybody's story matters and yeah. my story matters and your story matters and every single person listening, your story matters too. And, and what seemed ordinary to us is a guidebook for somebody else. And what seems normal to us is something that will have substantial impact to somebody else. Yeah. And I've seen it time and time again with mm-hmm. myself and with others, like who, who I've been friends with, who I am coaching, like the, the whole thing of you just making this one change mm-hmm. gives people permission to think about it because yeah. it, we think that nobody else is, oh, everybody's fine with the way they drink. Until you stop drinking and then you give them permission to be like, oh, I didn't realize we could do that. Yep. 
And it's, I think it's Oscar Wilde. Um, I'm probably wildly misquoting this, but um, be an opener of doors. If probably it's not Oscar Wilde, (laughs) I'll put that in the show notes, but being, be an opener of doors is really a a motto that I have, have taken on myself. Well, Kevin, this has been amazing. I know I could talk to you for hours because we have done it before, but I know our audience is going to want to connect with you. Where can they find you? What do you have going on right now? What sort of projects do you have? Uh, Currently I am, uh, uh, so I, like we talked about, I'm no longer an accountant, so I'm full-time, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm head of coaching over at reframe. So I'm, I'm coaching over there and trying to build, uh, that, that side of the reframe app platform, uh, and, you know, make it more accessible to people and, mm. uh, you know, easier to get to. So that's my, that's my day and night job, but, uh. So, but it's, it's, it's very nice to just focus on one thing for once. Yeah. Uh, you can also find me over at the sober ginger, uh, on Instagram. Uh, although I, I do need to get better about getting over there and answering my DMS and all that and posting lately, because I have been very silent as of late because I've just been focused on this new job, but I, I swear I'll be getting back into that soon. Those DMS, they kill me too. Don't worry about it. I think yeah. it gets us all. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a constant, like, sorry for the delay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but no, so yeah, you can find me over there and yeah, that's, that's the, those, that's the main, main Amazing. Spots. Well, thank you so much for your time today and your story. I really, truly believe that somebody out there listening is going to hear your otherwise ordinary story and say, oh my God, that is me. And if he can do it, then I can do it. And that is yeah really what we're doing here. We are opening doors. We are giving permission for a different way of doing things and new tools and new paths forward. So I really appreciate your time and the story you have shared with us. Thank you for your time today, Kevin. And we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on and appreciate it. Appreciate what you're doing and yeah, talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Kevin Bellick of The Sober Ginger. Kevin's truly my go-to guy for sober curious men, men who know alcohol isn't serving them, men who want a refreshing take on living without alcohol, but he's also just a really good follow in general. So if you're not a dude, go check him out. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us reach more people, share more stories, and you know, combat things like the SEO algorithm or whatever it's called. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your biggest takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories. Alexis Archuleta on mixing and general podcast genius. Callie Williams is our community and engagement lead. Danielle and Marty for our graphic design and every single person who has had a hand in what we're building. Until next week, my friends. 